Hark! It's an 87th Precinct podcast extra special bonus episode. I'm throwing this in for you, everyone, because it's a little while until we get round to the next book in the 87th Precinct series. We did Sadie When She Died not too long ago, but we'll be coming up to do Let's Hear It For The Deaf Man, and that'll probably be about a fortnight away. It is summer, people are going on holiday, and that's why. In the meantime, what I thought I'd do, and inspired by something I've been meaning to get around to as well, is have a little look at some short stories. Not just McBain short stories, I'm going to do a little bit of a a bookcase tour here. And so you'll hear me pick up my microphone, move around a little bit, and talk you through some of the things that have really captured my imagination, reading-wise, and short story format. But I want to start out by talking about a particular collection of short stories. And you may recall, if you've been a, a follower of the Twitter feed and the the various stuff, that uh, a little while ago I wrote an article reviewing a, a new book. Well, a reissue of a book. The reissue is by a publisher called Agora Books. And they have put out a book called The Return of Mr Campion. So Marjorie Allingham has been one of my new discoveries this year, You might have expected me to have known her a bit longer than that because she's a classic golden age crime writer and I'm quite a big fan of Agatha Christie, but I'd never got round to it, never got round to reading any Marjorie Allingham. And it wasn't long after I'd started reading it, I found a few together in a charity shop, a second-hand shop at at once, that um, it came out that Agora Books were going to reissue The Return of Mr Campion, a short story collection. Now, if I tell you a little bit about Campion himself... He's a very interesting character. He's not a detective in the classical sense. He's not a policeman. He's not a man whose job is to be a detective. He's just an intriguing character. In fact, the first book he was in, which is The Crime at Black Dudley, he's an incidental character. He's a weirdo who happens to be at this house party. He's unusual. He appears fatuous, is one of the descriptions. He's a strange character. But there was something about him. And clearly what happened is that he was popular with readers and he came back time and time again in novels and in a few short stories as well. And this Return of Mr Campion is obviously a collection of some of those alongside some other stuff that Marjorie Allingham wrote. I'm literally stood in front of my bookcase at the moment. So I'm looking at what Marjorie Allingham I've got. In fact, I got so excited about buying Marjorie Allingham books, I ended up buying at least a couple of them twice accidentally because I've got them in some quite nice vintage editions and then I found some green spine penguins and you can't resist green spine penguins can you I mean after all they look wonderful on the shelves what have I got there let's have a little look oh the mind readers flowers for the judge sweet danger coroner's pigeon yeah and a bunch of other ones as well they're great but the return of Mr Campion's very nice collection It was a book that was originally issued a little while after Allingham had died, but the great thing about it was it it doesn't just tell stories, it also includes some sort of authorial pondering on the character. It's quite a nice thing. Clearly, Marjorie Allingham felt very protective of Albert Campion, not his real name. What is his real name? We don't know. And so she's sort of written herself into his story somewhat as as though she's an official biographer, in a way. This book is really good. Um, I'd recommend it for anyone who likes short stories, particularly not just fans of Campion. The Campion stories in it are great. 
they always are. Campion becomes a very good character. He becomes more of a a force of nature almost. He can go into any situation and things will happen and he might he might seem at one point to be a spy, another time he might be like a policeman, another time he's just someone who's passing by who feels he has to right a wrong or can correct something. It's hard to tell, he's a very interesting character. So those stories are always great. But there's also a load of other stuff in here as well that reminded me of a lot of the type of short stories I like. There's even some sort of almost like Roald Dahl-esque. And if you've read any of Roald Dahl's short stories, they were one of my touchstones growing up for short stories. I was reading his adult short stories when I probably shouldn't have been, really. I don't mean adult, adult, but you know what I mean. So this episode has been inspired by The Return of Mr Campion. So if you're interested in that, that was being published by Agora Books, and you really must look it up. There's a really good horror story in here with... Well, is it a horror story? It's very enigmatic. It's called uh, The Wind Glass. It's a really interesting little little vignette that could be a horror story, isn't. It's hard to say. A fantastic tale called The Beauty King, which is all about uh, crazes in, in beauty treatments and how that affects the relationships of people's, people's fame, people's relationship to one another. Yeah, it's not worth saying any more about it because I want you to read it, really. Basically, look these things up. Every th- every story in this book is really good. I described it as being like a little tray of petit four. Uh, you know, a lot of little sweet treats that you can enjoy. And the good thing about this is it's not hollow calories. <laughs> it's it's It will last with you. It's, it's great. It's a fattening book. There you go. That's what we'll say about it. Let's spin on from Marjorie Allingham. And we're stood in front of my bookcase here. And I'm just going to pass my eyes across this little crime section that I've got. Let's have a look. What have we got? Oh, Quick Crimes. That was one I bought in America about this time last year. And that's the reason I bought that was because I wanted to, to have a nice uh, short story selection to read whilst travelling. And also wanted to buy it from the Mysterious Bookshop because it was edited by Otto Penzler. And listeners to the podcast will know that I, I did an interview with Otto and he was a friend of Ed McBain's, Evan Hunter's. And so I bought this collection called Quick Crimes, and they really are very quick, short stories. There's all sorts of folk in here, way too many for me to try and list now. But yeah, if you really want something that you can read whilst waiting for a bus or just something quick, it's these are proper little thought experiment type stories. That's really good. So that was nice. I like that one. Put that back. Let's have a look what else we've got around here. Ooh. One Night Stands and Lost Weekends. Another friend of Evan Hunter's, Lawrence Block. This is a, a fantastic collection of some of his early work. So this is a little bit like one of the McBain short story books I'll talk about in a second. I'm not going to leave you McBainless today. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. But yeah, this is the equivalent of McBain's Learning to Kill, but it's for Lawrence Block. Got a nice selection of things in there. Nice author introduction. If you've not... Uh, caught up with this it's always interesting to see where these authors start and how they get where they're going so that's good a couple of murakami short stories are a bit of a different sort of thing there so that's just a couple of of crime fiction type ones that i've got yeah there's all sorts of little bits and pieces along here so i'm going to move over then to one of my other bookshelves i'm picking up the the thing now so let's come with me all of two three feet over here let's have a look at some of the stuff over here i'm facing agatha christie now obviously 
a bunch of the Marples and Poirots were short story collections anyway, so I'm not going to go through that. Do, do, do. What else have we got down here that's short story? Ah! Now, the Penguin Book of Modern Short Stories. Ooh! You have to extract that from the shelf. I've got two of these. I've got the, the Penguin Book of Modern British Short Stories, which I haven't read. That's edited by Malcolm Bradbury. Have a quick look inside here, see what's in here. Or who's inside here. Samuel Beckett, Dylan Thomas, Graham Greene, Jean Rees, Ted Hughes. Oh, looks quite good. J.G. Ballard, Beryl Bainbridge, Martin Amis. Oh, all sorts of things. Yes, I probably should read that, shouldn't I? But I got that because I wanted it to accompany the Penguin Book of Modern Women's Short Stories edited by Susan Hill, which is a book I love. I studied this at either GCSE or A-level at high school, and I think it was probably the best book I've ever studied when, I was, when I've been learning, when I was doing English. So, a quick look through for recollection. I never had a copy myself, because obviously I had to give it... You used to have to give the books back at school. But eventually, I found it in the college that I was working in. They were clearing out loads of their fiction, so I got, a, got it remaindered there. Elizabeth Taylor's The Devastating Boys, that's brilliant. So, yeah, Some Retired Ladies on a Tour by Claire Boylan. Find the one that I thought was brilliant. Oh, Rose McCauley, Miss Anstruthers' Letters. That's a heartbreaking tale. I think set in the war or post-war. And... Well, it's a heartbreaking tale, but the problem is it reminds me of... We used to read through these things when we were at school. So we'd take turns reading out a page or a section or something like that. And one of my friends had to read the the line, Miss Anstruther, whom bombs made nervous. And it did come out as, Miss Anstruther, one bombs. So there you go. That's rather <laughs> taken, some of the, uh, taken some of the sting out of it. One bombs. Nothing Missing But the Samovar. I need to remember that being very good. That was Penelope Lively. Who else have we got in here? The Man Who Kept the Sweet Shop at the Bus Station by Helen Harris. Yeah, there's, there's tons of brilliant stories in the Penguin Book of Modern Women's Short Stories. If you get a chance to get a copy of that, it, it was a great introduction to short stories as something more than just a thing you quickly and passively read as we studied it. There were some wonderful tales in there and it really sort of turned me on to the form a little bit there as... You feel really clever when you're doing your English studies for a while. And then you just get obsessed with crime fiction instead afterwards. But there you go. What else have we got? George Louis Borges, collections of short stories there. Yep, they're brilliant as well. Do, do, do. Skipping around. Don't think there's much more in this section anyway. Ah, right, we're going to move again. Let's have a look over here. We're in the PG Woodhouse section. And again... Quite a few of these uh, these books are short story collections anyway, so I'm not going to necessarily go into any of those. I'll pick one out at random. He said at random, I went straight for it. It's very good, Jeeves. Let's have a little look. Jeeves and the Impending Doom. The Inferiority Complex of Old Sippy. Jeeves and the Yuletide Spirit. Jeeves and the song. You know what? There's no point in me going through and talking to you about P.G. Woodhouse stuff. It's all brilliant. Just soak it up. It's wonderful stuff. Sherlock Holmes as well. So Arthur Conan Doyle's stuff. Some of that's novels. Most of it's short stories. 
think I've got all of those. In fact, I know I've got all of those. So that's all right. So if I'm looking down the shelf a little bit as well, I have found, uh, uh, I've had these for years, a pan book, one of, quite an early edition pan book of Alfred Hitchcock's Stories My Mother Never Told Me. I try and do an impression, but it will just go horribly wrong. Part two. Stories My Mother Never Told Me, part two. When was this published? Published in this edition in 1967. This is from 1963. Contains a novelette by Jane Rice. Do I recognise any of the names in here? I have read this a long time ago, though. It's quite stained on the side. Mac Morris, Jack Ritchie, Idris Seabright, Henry Slesser, Don Stanford, Gilbert Thomas, Joan Vatzek and Richard Wormser, and a novel called Some of Your Blood by Theodore Sturgeon. This is basically a bit like Alfred Hitchcock's mystery magazine used to be, or something like Manhunt, where it would contain one large story and a number of shorter stories. Goodness only knows who had a hand in putting that together. I suspect Alfred Hitchcock probably didn't. He has apparently written an introduction, but that's a bit like him turning up at the start of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, I assume. He liked having his name on things. Anyway, next to that, <laughs> the Fontana Book of Great Horror Stories. Mm, got my name in it, Paul Abbott, Class 7. So I must have got this, well, I definitely got this second hand because I didn't buy it in, what year did it come out? 1975, this edition anyway. <laughs> I, yeah, this is more or less completely falling apart. This used to scare me to death. So if I have a little look through, the yeah, some of the names in here for horror stories. It's got a brilliant cover of what appears to be a pile of rocks or something with an eye, just an eyeball staring back at you with some wires coming out of it. I don't know. It's got a fantastic cover. I'll have to post this somewhere for you. Edited by Christine Bernard. Or Bernard. So it's got a story by Bram Stoker, Roberts Aikman, Hugh Walpole, Agatha Christie, Algernon Blackwood, Nigel Neal, Roald Dahl, L.P. Hartley, Ray Bradbury, Frank Baker, Saki, Elizabeth Bowen, or Bowen, don't know why I said Bowen, Ambrose Bierce, and Joan Aiken. The one I remember more than anything else is The Pond, I think, by Nigel Neal. So I'm going to have a quick look. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was scary. I'm just, I'm just gonna, just gonna read this now. But yeah, I must have read that a few times because the whole book comes apart in my hands. There, Nigel Neal is very well known to sci-fi fans, particularly because he created Quatermass, so the various Quatermass stories, Experiment and Pit, and things like that. But yeah, I didn't know who he was when I read that. That was creepy, and then followed by a Roald Dahl short story, which would also have been very creepy. And so I didn't realise I'd read Saki in the story called The Interlopers so early on. Saki is a, a brilliant writer, someone who does brilliant short stories, and I can't see where my copy of his stuff is. Oh, here it is. The Complete Saki. There we go. That's a nice big thick book up here as well. In the tradition of Wild and Woodhouse, but a bit more... A bit edgier, I think, possibly. Oh, this is all short stories. This is a doorstop of a book. This is brilliant. If you've not read any Saki, it's really good. Yeah, his real name was Hector Hugh Munro. Yeah, those are excellent short stories. Read them. Read everything. I'll try and put it back. Okay, let's not delay any longer. Let's get on to McBain, because I've got some, some information for you here. 
So we'll move over to the McBain zone. That wasn't very far, it was literally the next shelf. So we know that uh, Evan Hunter was a prolific writer of short stories. His entire career was founded on it. The time he spent at the Scott Meredith Literary Agency was the time when he was learning the short story format and the time when he started to submit and get accepted to various things, not least Manhunt magazine, which was essentially a Scott Meredith publication anyway. And we've talked about a few of where some of the 87th Precinct stories cropped up originally in the, in the podcast when it's relevant. So we'll skip away from the actual shelf of 87th Precinct novels, down, 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 and get to where I keep my short story collections. But in overview, basically, the collections that, that McBain, Evan Hunter, put out during the course of his career started in 1956, so quite early on. It had the success of the Blackboard Jungle, but in 1956, the year that the 87th Precinct starts, he put out a short story collection called The Jungle Kids, so clearly tied into Blackboard Jungle there. So that was a lot of uh, juvenile delinquency sort of stories. Really good collection, in fact. 1958, he did a book called I Like Em Tough, and that was a collection of the Kurt Cannon stories. I have got that, but only as an e-book. I wish I could find that in a nice, proper edition. And in 1960, there was a collection called The Last Spin and Other Stories, which again was a collection from magazine-published stories and had a fell towards the juvenile delinquency sort of theme a little bit, but he was getting a bit more advanced by that point. Advanced is perhaps not the right word, but it's he was moving forward in the format, but it still had a bit of that sort of throwback to it. We get to 1963, he's put out Happy New Year, Herbie, and other stories. Now we're starting to get into these bit more adult storytelling mould of things, a bit more relationship-centred stuff, not so much crime in that one particularly. 1972, bit of a leap then, The Easter Man, A Play, and Six Stories. That's self-explanatory. It's a script for his play. 1982 is The McBain Brief. Then another big leap to the year 2000, we have Running From Legs. We also have Barking at Butterflies. And in 2006, so this came just after he died, but it's got very good lot of detail from him as an author in it as, as learning to kill which actually looks right back to that first selection of stories by my count in general terms of, of all his published short stories including a few foreign translations and a couple of abridged books i reckon he published somewhere around 220 short stories basically between 1951 and, and the time he died some of them were collected, so only some of them make it into these books. For instance, there's none of his sci-fi short stories collected together as credited to him. If I had all the power in the world to issue things, I would issue collection of sci-fi short stories, collection of Western and adventure short stories, and then you could do all sorts of stuff with the crime things. I mean, he wrote tons of sci-fi short stories. And, yeah, it's strange that they're not out there, but... Maybe it was because they're sort of not what he ended up being known for and it's, it's him developing his style and his writing technique and he's writing for a market. You know, perhaps, if you've listened to our reviews of Danger Dinosaurs and the one with the moon, whose name has just totally gone out of my head as well. 
Rocket to Luna. There we go. That we've not reviewed them particularly brilliantly, but they were for younger younger readers. You could get a massive collection out of out of the sci-fi stuff alone. I wonder who owns the rights. That's probably what it is. The only problem with the actual published collections, the one he did, the ones he did put out, is there's a lot of duplication. He obviously thought very highly of certain stories, and they appear in loads of them. Now I haven't got the Jungle Kids, I haven't got the Last Spin, I haven't got Happy New Year, Herbie, or Easter Manor Play. So my collection starts, and you'll excuse me. Oh, down here somewhere. Where are you? The McBain Brief. Knocked the guitar there. So the McBain Brief, if I have a quick flick into this. One of the great things about these books is that he adds author introductions and he adds some details about where the stories came from, why names were changed occasionally for publication. It's a researcher's dream, you know, this stuff. So you get a brief introduction. And then it runs through stories like First Offence, Skin Flick, The Prisoner, Every Morning, One Down, Kiss Me Dudley, Chinese Puzzle, The Interview, Accident Report, Hot Cars, Eyewitness, Chalk, first story he wrote, Still Life, A Very Merry Christmas, Small Homicide, Hot, Kid Kill, Death Flight, The Confession, The Last Spin. An excellent collection of stories, really, there, that covers the output of a number of his pseudonyms and tells quite a story about his... His development as a writer. Some of those are really, really good. But yeah, Chalk apparently was his first one written while he was in the in the Navy. Peacetime in the Navy, essentially, is what he, he spent a lot of time with, well, time to himself, going into the room where the typewriter was and writing short stories. This typewriter, as he said somewhere else, that only had capital letters so he was writing short stories and sending them off but it must have been all these publishers receiving them going why is this man shouting a story at me but you know you make do with what you've got don't you so that's the McBain brief but just to sort of illustrate the point of of how much duplication there is if I go on to running from legs I think excuse me guitar where are you running from legs not a sentence I've said before Running from Legs and Other Stories. Another nice introduction. So, for instance, Happy New Year Herbie and The Last Spinner in this book. Terminal Misunderstanding, The Fallen Angel, The Interview, The Prisoner. I think a lot of these are ones that would have turned up in things like Playboy magazine. So, Ladies Home Journal, some of those ones. Yeah, definitely Playboy. So this is, you say playboy, and if you use the word adult, it's going to sound a bit strange, but it's the more grown-up stories, the less crime-based, the more relationship-based. So that's quite a nice collection there. I just jump ahead as well to Barking at Butterflies. This is another book I spent quite a lot of money on in the Mysterious Bookshop, and it is signed... Well, the book itself is credited to Evan Hunter, a.k.a. Ed, Ed McBain, and it is signed by Evan Hunter, a.k.a. Ed McBain. Oh, signed, signed McBain's. This contains On the Sidewalk Bleeding, which is one that I believe a lot of high school kids in America and possibly Australia as well study as an example of short story format or use it as inspiration for media studies, for making short films and things like that. 
contains things like short short story which i believe is one he, he couldn't sell elsewhere motel the intruder uncle jimbo's marbles and this contains a nice afterword rather than a foreword it's got a, a picture of a fairly heavily bearded McBain on the front looking quite pensive really there it's another nice nice collection and it does span quite a quite a wide range of his career it's got to break the wall in there which was the short story that's essentially one one chapter of the blackboard jungle so lots in there to uh, to choose from but if we now come to here we are learning to kill this if you're going to buy one ed mcbain short story collection this is the one to get so this was published just after his death but he'd written both an introduction for it, an afterword for it, and quite a few sort of section headers as well, because the book's divided up into sections. One's called Kids, and that has some of his classic juvenile delinquency stories in, including See Him Die, which is the short story that See Them Die, the 87th Precinct book, is based on. A section called Women in Jeopardy, which has a story called Dummy, which, if memory serves, and you know it does, does it? Please, please let it serve memory. Yeah, it's it's one of the stories where he's mulling around the idea of, of featuring a, a, a character who is a deaf mute. And obviously that's becomes Teddy Carella. Then a section on private eyes, good and dead, death flight and kiss me Dudley again. Well, this time it's got a comma after kiss me, it isn't in the other one. Then we get to a section called Cops and Robbers, which features Small Homicide, Still Life, Accident Report, Chinese Puzzle and The Big Day. You're pretty clear what that section is. Innocent Bystanders, Runaway, Downpour, Eyewitness, Every Morning and The Innocent One. A section called Loose Cannons, Chalk, again, Association Test, Bedbug and The Merry Merry Christmas, what I need to do is I need to compare whether the Very Merry Christmas and the Merry Merry Christmas are the same thing. You know what, I could do that now. If it takes too long, I'll cut it out, don't worry. Where we put that then? So, A Very Merry Christmas from McBain Brief, page 168. Got it. And The Merry Merry Christmas, page 438 in Learning to Kill. Now we'll find out, eh? Sitting at the bar, Pete Sharpens looked at his own reflection in the mirror, grinned and said, Merry Christmas. Yep, it's the same story, different name. I'll have to check the sources on that one, find out which was first and which ones should be the official title, or whether it's renamed again. He does talk quite a lot about how publishers would rename stories. And then he has a section called Gangs, and that features again on the sidewalk bleeding and the last spin, which I reckon are two stories he was amazingly proud of, because they, they crop up over and over again in these collections. But Learning to Kill is really worth it because of the additional material, the author introduction, where he talks through getting the job at the Scott Meredith Literary Agency, the afterword where he acknowledges where some of these things came from, and the little section headers... If you're going to get one collection, get Learning to Kill. You'll get so much more than just the stories. And it is a wonderful collection. So that's a little route through my Ed McBain short story collection. I will still be looking out for the Jungle Kids and things like that. But they're a bit harder to come by anyway. So before I finish off, 
what I've not done is I've not taken the microphone off to the sci-fi shelves because I have somehow in my life managed to acquire many more sci-fi books than I ever expected to have. I do like science fiction. I really, really do. I read loads of it in the library. Never owned masses of it until my a friend of mine who was studying it at university, studying science fiction literature at university, was like, well, I'm going to get rid of these books. And I, I said, don't, don't give them away. Don't give them to the charity shop, <laughs> which is terrible, really. You should have gone into charity. They came to me anyway, so I inherited them. Quite a lot of them did go to the charity shop, but I kept particularly things like collections of short stories. Since that time, as well, in the place that I work, has a very big science fiction collection for academic study purposes, but they get donated so much stuff they can't possibly have all of it. They get a lot of duplicates, so they often sell or give away a lot. So since then, as well, tons of stuff has expanded in my collection again, particularly in terms of the short story collections. So I've picked a couple out. One that is a book I've had for a long time. This is before my collection went mad. And this is called World's Best Science Fiction Third Series. So who's this published by? It's an ace book. It was originally World's Best Science Fiction 1967, edited by Donald A. Wolheim and Terry Carr. And the reason I picked this one out as an example of the stuff from the sci-fi shelves is that it opens with we can remember it for you wholesale by philip k dick which i read before i'd seen the film total recall i thought it was an amazing story later on saw the film total recall was able to put two and two together but it contains quite a few greats roger zelazny's in there r.a lafferty a.a wald michael moorcock Avram Davison, Frederick Pohl, Paul Ash, Danny Platchter, Brian W. Aldis, got quite a lot of his stuff. Some more Roger Lasagna. Roger Lasagna? Roger Zala- Roger Zalansny. I think I said it right before and then I just went wrong that second time. How strange. Roger Lasagna. But one other story that's in there is by a guy called Bob Shaw called Light of Other Days. And that was one of these conceptual stories that just blew my mind and broke my heart about this slow glass glass that would hold time so it moved at a slower rate so what you'd see looking through it would be from the past i've not read it in years but all i know is that it ends up being very very tragic for i believe the inventor of it or or something along those lines i don't want to read it again i want to sort of savor it until i've totally just forgotten all about it and i read it again accidentally but i probably won't it's stuck in my mind And a couple more off the shelf that I've picked up recently. Seven Trips Through Time and Space and 13 Great Stories of Science Fiction, both Coronet science fiction books. Ones that I probably would have picked up because I like the collections, but they're both edited by Groff Conklin, who used to visit us as the fact-checking ghost on, on the podcast. And I can't even remember why Groff Conklin came to our attention in the first place. But they contain great stuff like... Oh, let's have a look in 13 great stories. Paul Anderson, John Wyndham, oh yeah, Arthur C. Clarke, Lion Miller, that's a good name. Oh, that story's called The Available Data on the Warp Reaction. Warp spelt W-O-R-P. The Skills of Xanadu by Theodore Sturgeon. Oh, excellent stuff. I've got quite a lot of sci-fi short story collections and I've read a few of them and not all of them stuck in my mind. I do go back to them quite a lot. I often fill in the gaps between novels with a collection of short stories. 
Cordwainer Smith, right, this is in Seven Trips Through Time and Space. Cordwainer Smith writing a story called The Crime and the Glory of Commander Susdow. Frank Herbert, he of Dune, the tactful saboteur. Ministry of Disturbance by H. Beam Piper. That's a lovely name, H. Beam. Flatlander by Larry Niven. They're wonderful. And I would be very remiss if I didn't mention in closing a collection of short stories in the speculative fiction range by a chap called Gary Abbott, who has the great luck of being my uh, brother as well. And you'll have heard him on those podcasts about the the Richard Marston uh, Winston science fiction stories that Evan Hunter did. And this was Gary's collection of, of short stories. And there's all sorts of things in her. In her and her. There's all sorts of things in here. The Diary of Derek Froggart, the Accidental Time Traveller. Black Swarm, Loving the Shell, The Dimension Scales. Animals Attack, Parts 1 to 4. Newsbot Serial 1, The Day the Stars Moved. There's a nice collection. It's a very nice collection. He's used some alternative approaches, like working as if it's a, a report of an online system and things like that. Things with robots, things with animals. Oh, it's really good. Very proud of the boy. Very proud of the boy. So you can still buy that. You can get it on Amazon. It's The Dimension Scales and Other Stories by Gary Abbott. My favourite of the things he's put out. So, if you've listened this far, thank you for listening. This is just a little stopgap if you were desperate to hear my voice before we get back with the other, the other stuff. Don't worry, Steve-O and Morgan will be back so you'll be able to hear all the noises we all normally make when we get together. And again, I say to you, if you're interested in Golden Age crime fiction and short stories, The Return of Mr. Campion by Agora Books, I could claim that they were... <laughs> I could claim, that, yeah, that they weren't sponsoring us. They're not sponsoring us, but they did send me a free copy so I could review it, and I, I'm very glad they did because it, it's excellent. So there we go. Dig that one out. And we will see you soon for the next book in the 87th Precinct series... Let's hear it for the deaf man. If you're listening to this before the main episode comes out, then please let us know who would you cast as the deaf man? Who are your options? Who are your thoughts for the deaf man, the recurring villain, if we were ever to get a new 87th Precinct series? Until next time, fare thee well. Well.